And lo and behold, even under no pressure, you get a pretty concussive explosion that scared the hell out of us, to be honest with you. But yeah, it, it's bigger than you would expect for an ounce, an ounce of refrigerant, which you can imagine you put a couple, you know, hundred pounds in a, in a large system and, and you're talking about a pretty big opportunity for, for trouble. At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. So right off of the top, guys, that was Pete Capucciati from Blue On. He's the CEO, talking about him. He was with Brian Johnson, technical sales and training manager of Blue On, who's also joining us on this podcast and how they were playing with an A2L refrigerant and how they had one ounce of refrigerant cause um, an explosion that scared the hell out of them. So what happens when you have a few pounds of refrigerant? What happens? So this podcast is the beginning stages of awareness to all of this. High GWP refrigerants, they seem to be, um, there seems to be a global effort to get rid of them. And the refrigerants that are coming in to replace them have flammability factors that we need to be aware of. That's what this conversation is about. It's very interesting. It can actually get confusing at times, but that's why Pete and Brian are on here to sort of educate us on this. And guys, it's, it's up to us too as well, right? We have to be aware of this. We got to do a little bit of digging. We have to do a little bit of research on our own to make sure that we're safe and we're working on this type of equipment and this type of these type of refrigerants. So let's get to this right now. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, gentlemen, how you doing? We got, uh, we got something cool to talk about and something that seems like nobody knows much about. So are you guys ready for this? Pete? Absolutely. Yeah, Brian, rock on, man. Let, let's do it. So I guess it started um, for me when I, uh, you guys sent me a meme and I shared it, and it was a little girl looking back from a, a burning house. The, the house was burning down, and I it said something about the use of A two L refrigerants and resident. I can't remember what it said, but since since that meme, it's been on my mind. So what? Maybe you can explain that meme to me a little bit and, and how that all started. Yeah, great. I mean, the we're trying to get the you know the awareness out there in terms of you know what an A two L is, and it's a little bit of confusion out there. I mean, the, the the you know that particular abbreviation didn't even exist. I guess maybe ten years ago, there was always A one, A two, A three. You know, A one is non toxic, non flammable. A two was non toxic, flammable, and A three was really flammable, like uh, you know propane. They, they made this A2L number or, or label try to say that there was light or semi-flammability. And they kind of rebranded a lot of the refrigerants, such as R32, for example, got rebranded an A2L versus an A2. Same refrigerant, same flammability, nothing changed. 
just trying to make it easier for people to accept that they're going to have that type of gas in their systems. But nothing has changed. They're still equally as dangerous and equally as flammable. In fact, uh, Brian and I have have done some experimentations here in the in the lab and and shown just how how explosive they can be. And and uh, it gets it gets pretty aggressive. Uh, we can share some of those videos with you. They're pretty uh, remarkable. I would I would love to see them. So what exactly are you doing to to experiment? And and how are you like, are you, are you standing behind like a big glass? Uh, a big glass wall like they do on Mythbusters when they're blowing stuff up? Uh, it, pretty much, except it was more of a makeshift wall that was a ping okay. pong table and a few other <laughs> a few other objects. Um, yeah, we were just, what we were doing is because you, at the time you couldn't, you couldn't buy any of these uh, new refrigerants such as, you know, 454B and some of the others that are A2Ls. So we, we can make them here. Right? We have the ability to make uh, pretty much any blend. So we mix them up, make them up, and then subject them to, you know, various amounts of of heat and um, oxygen and see what they do. And lo and behold, even under no pressure, you get a pretty concussive explosion that scared the hell out of us, to be honest with you. But yeah, it, it's bigger than you would expect for an ounce, an ounce of refrigerant, which you can imagine you put a couple, you know, hundred pounds in a, in a large system and, and you're talking about a pretty big opportunity for, for trouble. So I guess with that, with that meme, it was really just trying to communicate to the world that, you know, you need to understand what these are, uh, be prepared for them. And if you're a technician, you know, be, be on the lookout and understand what that means to you and your, and your, uh, you know, your risk and your equipment and everything else you got to work on. So you, you guys had an, you guys took an ounce of a refrigerant, an A2L and, and made it explode to a point where you, you said, whoa, and this is one ounce. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was a it was wow. a big whoa. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's that's crazy. And and this was what you would classify as an A2L. Correct. Yeah, it was we exactly we mixed we mixed, you know, one of the the newer refrigerants that are going to be coming down the pipe as as 410 gets gets put on the shelf um, in in replacement of that. And there's going to be, you know, you're going to see it in the next, you know, this year, next year, the year after, you're going to see a lot of discussion about the use of A2Ls and these new refrigerants that are low GWP, but are, you know, have this new uh, risk or new category of A2L. And I just think there's been so little discussion about it in the industry, both from the OEMs all the way down to the technicians and everywhere in between, that there's not a lot of understanding of what's coming and what it means to the industry. Mm-hmm. So you kind of touched on 410 there for a minute. So I guess this leads into because 410 is one of the major refrigerants right now, especially in residential. I, I see it in commercial. I, I see a bunch in commercial 134A, uh, 404A, um, 407C, um, still a little bit of R22 still. So as far as the 410A replacement, like how are we looking there? Like what are our options going forward? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the OEMs have gotten together and, and- put forth three solutions, at least for original equipment. So you're going to see, you know, Daikin is going to come out with R32, which they've been using, you know, pretty much everywhere else, uh, all throughout Asia. Uh, they use R32, but R32 is a single constituent. It's actually probably the, one of the best refrigerants um, naturally that exists. It's just pretty flammable, you know, remarkably flammable. And so it doesn't get a lot of traffic in, whether it be in parts of Europe or North America, in the more, you know, risk adverse litigious countries kind of stay away from it uh, for obvious reasons. 
But now with, with the new regulations to get rid of you know high GWP refrigerants, it's making a comeback. That's one bucket. Then you got Carrier, who's going to be using 454B, which is another A2L, a flammable replacement. And then you have a whole host of other ones that are using 466A, and that is a A1. So that's, that one is not flammable, uh, but it has some issues with it on performance, particularly in high heat, that made others uh, step away from it. So the point being is, you know, in most instances for new equipment, you're going to have to deal with an A2L unless you're going to replace the refrigerant on install, uh, which, you know, some of our clients in the U.S. are already thinking about doing as these regs come to be over the coming years. Hmm. So when, when do you, when is the plan for these changes to start happening? I wish I could give you a straight answer on that because it's, it's, it's yeah, we get that question all the time. Um, in the U S it's going to be state by state because of the EPA issue, which we can talk about in Canada. It's a little more gray because it's more about the overall use of the total amount of GWP. So basically there's like a quota system. And every year that good number goes down. Mm-hmm. So as that number goes down, the amount of 410 that can be sold gets curtailed pretty dramatically because it's got the highest number, right, per pound, yeah. per, uh, per kilo. And so as a result of that, you'll see you know 410 being effectively phased out starting next year, but not really because you'll still be able to buy it. Just about the total amount needed will be less than the total amount. Uh, uh, I mean, more than the total amount supplied. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I sort of got my first like I haven't come across any of these even even R two ninety like pro straight up propane I haven't come across it uh, yet until actually yesterday I I do a lot of um, pharmaceutical stuff and there's a lot of chambers that um, these they're like reach ins like minus eighty and I saw one it was brand new and it was sitting there I'm like I've never seen this one before this is, looks brand spanking new and I went to the nameplate and right enough r290 on there and i'm like i wonder if they even know like the the company that bought that even know that that's what's in it and i'm like well, if if this thing ever goes dead like these things they're, they're 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 tanks like you buy them brand new and they last they seem to, to last forever um i've only had problems with the older ones and stuff like that as far as the refrigeration side so it could be 20 years from now that the thing even has to get opened up and by that time it might be garbage but i mean if we start having issues i'm just curious i'm asking myself do these guys even know that this is a potential um hazard here that now we have to work on this or open it up we're gonna have to take these these precautions around it and and i don't think they do to be honest with you i really don't think the customer knows this yet so i would say um, that yeah 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 me too for sure so as far as like we we have some notes here and you've we've written ar five versus ar4 can we talk about that for a minute and the difference because i don't really know much about this stuff at all and this this is why i'm glad you guys are here to sort of educate us yeah this is one of the yeah this is just to add more confusion to a already hyper confusing topic that there doesn't seem to be any you know uh literature for the for folks like us in the horn to get their head wrapped around so ar5 and ar4 refer to the way in which you calculate gwp so GWP stands for global warming potential. So you'll see a number on most refrigerants. It could be anywhere from, you know, 750 to 3000, you know, depending if you're using, you know, a 404 or 507, which have really high GWPs. 
410A, just above 2000, uh, R22 in the 1700s. Now that number changes by how you calculate it. And that's why they, the, the UN, uh, for whatever reason, decided to change to this AR5 method, which, which made all the numbers go down. The problem is all the regulations that are going to govern which ones you can use are all based on AR4. So if you talk to Canada, US, California, they all use AR4 as their metric. But if you look on your, on your uh, cut sheet of your refrigerant or you look on the canister, it's going to use the AR5 number which makes it completely confusing uh, in trying to determine what is what I is what I'm using as allowed in this application because the rule might be 750 or 1500 and the canister might say that but it might be misleading because you're using an AR5 number versus an AR4 number that probably is just confusing to even listen to but the point being is you have to be really careful if you're if you're you know in a project that requires a certain uh, regulatory compliance and you're looking at the cut sheet and you think you're okay, but in fact, you might not be because the measurement that the regulators use is the old measurement, which they've already said they're not going to change. So it's just going to create this uh, additional layer of confusion as people try to be compliant with what those regulations are. <laughs> I'm already confused. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm, 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 already, I'm already confused. So, I mean, this is going to be a lot of fun going forward. So, I mean... Brian, I think you want to jump in here and talk about, we, we talked just before I, I hit record about some of the, maybe some of the training and stuff and some of the tools and, and what you were saying about mechanical rooms um, when, when now we're using this stuff in a sort of, not a confined space, but in a, in a space that's not outdoors. Like, what, what, do, you, what do you think about all this? Well, yes, uh, it's going to it's going to impact the industry as a whole. Not you know, you're talking about flammable refrigerants, you know, A two Ls. When you when you put it in a confined space, now is a restaurant considered a confined space? How about that lab that you were working in? Would mm-hmm. that be a confined space? And now you take a a, a lightly flammable refrigerant or an A2L, and you put it inside the uh, that cascade freezer that you're looking at, now you put it in there, is that a, is that a high oxygen uh, use room, or is it standard? It's all these little wonderful things, but the mechanical rooms, if you're putting this equipment in an enclosed mechanical room, uh, you know, like a boiler room or a chiller room, uh, that's why you have the separation between boilers and chillers is the refrigerant and the flame. Now you put a flammable refrigerant inside a machine, inside a mechanical room, and now you have to have uh, sensors that will monitor in the event that the system has a leak. So X amount of parts per million. Now it trips an alarm. Now it turns on an exhaust fan. Now it has to alert people because you have flammable gas in the space, etc. Then that's just the mechanical room side. Now we got to look at your work truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the tools in our truck, right? Yeah, recovery machines, vacuum pumps, uh, leak detectors, electronic leak detectors, <laughs> and and yeah, and your fire extinguisher. When it comes to servicing it, you have to not only be worried about the refrigerant and flowing nitrogen, but in some cases you have to remove the oil completely out of the system because the refrigerant has saturated the oil and now you've got 
the potential of when you're soldering this thing back together, the oil, the oil igniting on you. Yeah, that's, that's something that I was actually thinking about because I, I haven't really worked on this stuff and, and we were discussing it on, on a post maybe like a month ago and, and somebody had mentioned, yeah, that you can't have any fittings, any Schrader fittings or anything like that on a, on a system that has like propane in it. And I'm like, that's actually a good point because if you have a leak, um, and a lot of those Schrader caps and stuff, you don't put the caps back on the Schrader cores that they, they leak a lot. And if you have a leak, then you have a, a potential issue. So now you have to button that thing back up and you can't purge nitrogen through it. If you have that one last, uh, one last opening in the system. So it's, it's true what you're saying. Yeah. What if, what if you still have some boiling out of that, that oil and, and it ignites back up? Like these, these are things that we, we have to think about. Have you ever worked on these refrigerants yet, Brian, at all? I have not worked on, I mean, I've worked around uh, propane, uh, but no, I have not had to work with the new refrigerants they're, tar- they're talking about other than what we did on the test uh, here. And, um, but it's <clears throat> watching these guys, all of the, all of the uh, ice machines that are being created in my area, okay, they are all propane. All the all the small countertop ice machines that you see in the fast food restaurants. If they're buying new ones, they're they've got propane in them. Uh, the portable uh, reach-ins that the guys use for sandwich shops, those have propane in them. And I have watched the videos on how to repair these and what the guys are doing. And if you follow the safety procedures. You know, all fine and good, uh, but you're right. You can't leave the Schraders in, so you have to use the pinch-off tools, and <laughs> and then uh, you have to you have to cap it just like if you were at the factory. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. gets gets pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it would. I just saw actually uh, on the Yellow Jackets website they've got like a little kit for charging um systems like this hydrocarbon systems and it, look, it looks like a pretty neat kit but um it's just it's just i guess this the sign of the times i guess and they're just getting on board so i mean you guys like what are you guys how are you guys feeling about all this with with um i gotta ask you this like four five eight a what you guys um are, are known to be putting out there like are you guys coming up with with a solution to this at all All right, we're talking to Blue On, so we have to talk about their app just quickly. And if you want to talk to guys like Brian on the phone through their tech support, you download their app and you have 24-7 tech support. And you can talk to techs like Brian, okay, because the guy's very, very knowledgeable. And there's a bunch of other stuff on the app, like toolboxes and unit manuals and, and stuff like that that you can access for free anytime you want. So check out the Blue On app. A few things I used on a job this week few things I used. Okay, so 
for one, we put in an electronic expansion valve and, and you'll hear me talk about <laughs> at the end of the podcast uh, how I got the, the valve to work in the summertime and how we had to change it this time. So the job is done now and everything is good, everything's fine, but we use wet rag, Viper wet rag to protect that valve. And if you've seen my video um, a couple of weeks ago when I did the wet rag challenge, it's an older video, you can see that it has superior heat blocking um, over like a wet rag, like a regular soaked rag that you would put in water and wrap around so viper wet rag check it out the other cool thing i did and this is the lowest evacuation i've ever got in my entire life so after we were done with it we we purged nitrogen through the whole time we were brazing and stuff and we did a purge of nitrogen before we started to to evacuate so i hooked up the navac 12 cfm pump with some true blue hoses and I wanted to try out the new Testo 552i, which looks like a, a smart probe. Well, it is a smart probe, but it looks like the pressure transducer smart probe. But it's actually in a, a vacuum gauge that reads in microns and hooks up to the, the, the Testo smart app. So we were down to like a thousand microns in like 10 minutes. But it was the end of the day. It was cold. We had still had to clean up. And... It was, it was almost to the point where it was going to start to get dark. So I'm like, you know what? We'll just let the pump run overnight and we'll charge it in the morning. So that's what we did. Came back in the morning. The pump was still running. And guess what? You know how cold it was outside? It was minus 14 degrees Celsius. And that pump ran through the entire night. No problem. When we got back to the machine, fired up the 552i, turned it on, connected it to the app. We were down at 87 microns, I think it was. Somewhere in that range. 88, 87, or actually, sorry, it was 83 microns. It was 83 microns. That's the lowest vacuum I've ever pulled in my entire life. So I thought that was really cool. And I used um, the Navac pump, the True Blue Hoses, and, and the 552i, the new vacuum gauge from Testo to do it. Last but not least, guys, we talked to Jim Adcox about Subco Trade Fox. And I think that if you have an idea, you guys should get in touch with them and see if you can work something out because I think it's a fabulous platform. And you can tell that Jim's an awesome guy and Subco is a trustworthy company if you want to do it this way. Otherwise, they wouldn't have all these techs throwing tools at them and, and wanting to work with them. So check out um, the, the email. You go to ideas at Subco or, or email your, your, your query to ideas at subcotradefox.com and take the conversation from there. Let's get back to Pete and Brian. Yeah, I think uh, the answer to that is in two parts. So okay. we have the, the product solution, which we've been testing in our test chamber of how we can use uh, 458A in 410 systems, uh, which mm -hmm. work quite nicely. Um, and we got a whole protocol coming out for that in the near future. We're also developing 458B, which will be a slightly higher pressure version at a lower GWP. But I think even more importantly is, you know, as, as you know, uh, our, our business is, is rapidly morphing into the platform uh, as the primary, the primary thing that is facing the technician world and providing people with training, education, the right tools, the right equipment, the right, just the right approach to handling this stuff is really what we're focusing on in terms of getting ready for this massive transition, which is going to be huge, right? It's going to impact the market like I don't think anybody had anything has historically. So it's going to require an increased level of training and uh, experience in a market, particularly in the U.S., where right now we're having a hard time filling the positions as, as they come available because we don't have the numbers right to, to fill the techs and give them 
the proper training. So it's going to make a difficult situation even more challenging. And that's where we put our platform and our, you know, our tech support and our training as a, a bridge to that, to really let, let these folks understand what to do and how to do it. Mm-hmm. So are you guys going to be sort of unleashing some sort of um, customized training around this at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for certain. And we're hoping to be working with some of the OEMs on it as well. Just because again, they're, they're, you know, one of the things I was going to mention with Brian was talking about the differences um, in what you have to, you know, your equipment and whatnot. The regulators look at the ice machines, the portable ice machines, the small window units that are running on R32 or a 290. And they say, look, we've been using it for, for 10 years. It works fine. But they forget the fact that you know, a split system is put together in the field on the field, right? It's not, it's not a closed system from the man, from the manufacturer. You just plug in, which is an entirely different animal uh, when it comes to how it gets set up, leaks, just the whole everything about it. And I think there's a, a huge misunderstanding from the regular regulatory bodies, as well as the, the the manufacturers in terms of how big of a difference that is between something that's sold to you closed for something that's that's closed, you know, at the site. And all the differences that that brings up uh, as a technician. Yeah, I've I've actually got a question for for Brian and Pete. You can jump in on this too, Brian. Have you heard about? I've I've had a couple people mention um, with with all this coming about residential chillers. So the whole refrigerant part of the system is outside and having a chilled water coil indoors for air conditioning and then pumping the water through the, the fan coil rather than having a split system with like a refrigerant EVAP inside and then the condensing unit outside. Have you heard about that? And what do you think about it? That, that conversation will never die. (laughs) Um, Bringing, bringing back in the ammonia chillers in the residential sector. Uh, Yes, I am familiar with them. Uh, I grew up around them. I grew up working on them. So uh, you're just like every other chiller that's out there. You have a chiller sitting outside that's full of ammonia. It's got natural gas or propane that that feeds it. And then you pump chilled water. But you're talking about something that does 10 degrees across the evap or, you know, across the coil. Mm -hmm. And now you're putting in uh multiple uh the 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 way to get the most efficiency efficiency out of that is you're putting in multiple uh chill water coils throughout the house Mm -hmm. and but they've been talking about bringing those things back since they pretty much went away when they came up with r22 split systems that had a 20 degree split and people's gasoline or uh, natural gas bills dropped off and it's like it's it's awesome they're coming up with electric houses but now you look at it today and they're they're pretty big uh some of those units were the size of a volkswagen bus uh sitting out in your yard you know people today are complaining about the 24 by 24 cubes sitting out there right gary yeah yeah so so i remember when 410a first uh, sort of hit the market and you go to Home Depot and see the uh, the, the high efficiency train condensing units and they were like they were Huge. massive I'm like how how do you even wa- how do you even put those at the side of your house without blocking the pathway so yeah yeah I, I hear you <laughs> I hear you there it was almost comical the size of them when I first seen them 
So, I mean, we got some other other points here to, to talk about that that are, I think, mainly focused w- within the U.S. I, I don't know if Pete, if you want to touch on these, like the we talked about before we hit record the um, EPA loss of power to delist high uh, GWP HFCs, and there was like a lawsuit and, and all that that I, I read about, but I vaguely remember what it was about. If you want to touch on that. Yeah, just a little interesting background is, you know, everybody wonders why the all the phase outs stopped in the U.S. abruptly in 19, not R22, because that was a global accord. But, mm-hmm. you know, 410 was on the chopping block. 134A was in the chopping block. 404, 507, they were all set to go bye bye in 2020. And then all of a sudden it just came to a screeching halt. And that's because uh, Mexichem, who makes the lion's share of 134A in North America, you know, took he took the EPA to court all the way to the Supreme Court, and in the middle of 2018, won uh, to the surprise of everybody, and were able to effectively put a stop to all of the quote unquote delisting. EPA still has the authority to bring new products to market, but they can't take anything out they already approved in the past until the legislature gives them that authority. So they're kind of stuck in a stalemate, and as a result, the states started to pick up that. Slack. So California, the ARB in California, has a whole set of protocols and regulations that they're going to put forward in the coming years. But you can imagine the chaos of having different regulations in different states, which is what's going to happen unless they change the change the, the background. But that's where we're headed right now is a, a multi-state, multi-regulation environment where you're going to have to know a whole slew of different regulations. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's going to get really confusing, I think. Um, and what's what's carb, by the way, because you said carb, or or when when I received the notes from from the girls at the office, carb taking the reign of GWP regulation. What what exactly is that? Yeah, so that's that's the California Air Resources Board. So what they what's they saying? Power of horrors of vacuum. So as soon as the EPA lost their authority. California stepped up and said, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to lead the charge and make some state rules and other people can follow suit. So right now they're in the prop. They just made their first rule, which is on only on uh, cold storage. It's not on HVAC, but it sets a rule starting uh, next year that you have to use below 150 GWP for any new installations of, you know, whether supermarket racks or whatnot. Meanwhile, there are no refrigerants that meet that number, literally none. So you've got a you've got a regulation that cannot be satisfied coming down the pipe in you know 10, 11 months and an industry trying to figure out how to satisfy something that there is no product to satisfy for. And yet that's just the beginning of it because they've got other plans in 2023 and 2025 for HVAC, which, you know, who knows if they'll be enacted. But if they do, we could be in a, a tricky spot. Okay, so Pete, I, I brought up uh, an article and I think this might similar to the one I read a couple of weeks ago, and it's a um, sort of an amendment to the Montreal Protocol called the Kigali Amendment. Um, do you want, you want to touch on that? Because when I was reading it a couple of weeks ago, it was interesting because it was uh, focused around HFC and sort of a an eventual phase out of 134A. Like, um, can we touch on that, if you don't mind? Yeah, that's that's kind of what, what I mentioned earlier, the gray regulations in Canada, that's the the source of it. So the Kingali Accords effectively put your baseline, I believe at 2018, I think. 
And then you ha- then every so many years, you drop that baseline in total amount of consumption of HFCs. So I think in 19, it goes down 10%. In 2024, it goes down 25%. And then by the time you get to 2034, you're down 85%, which is where it stays. It never goes to zero, but it goes to 85% below the, the baseline. And when you do the math on that, there's no way to get there unless you get rid of 410, 134, you know, pretty much anything that's north of 1,000 GWP has to go because of the weighted numbers are going to bring the whole the whole giant number down, right? Because they basically take the amount of product you use, they multiply it by the GWP, and that's the total number. So in other words, you can use two pounds of 134 for every one pound of 410, because 410 is twice the GWP of 134. That's how that rule mm-hmm. works. Um, but yeah, it basically is a, it's a, it's a macro view of the entire market of all the products based upon their GWP and then bringing that number down over the next decade. Gotcha. I, I thought I read something about, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that as of uh, January 1 that just passed, 2020, that residential appliances cannot contain 134A anymore. Is that true or, is, or, am I, or did I misinterpret that? It's very, it's very possible. Um, there, there in Canada, there's a very um, a lot of specific regs on unique types of equipment. So, for example, you know, for like an ice machine or a, a very small vending machine or certain, you know, refrigeration devices, whether whether it's uh, residential or whatnot, there are very specific rules. Or like automobiles, right? Got rid of 134 as well uh, in Canada. So it's, it's a, it's very, I don't know that reg, but it's, that does not sound uh, outlandish. So Brian, what, what do you think about these tools? Like how, how are we going to outfit these tools going forward in the future? Are we going to have to, and you were talking about some like remote, uh, remote controls for these tools. Like you want to explain that a little bit further as, as what you were saying to me before we hit record there? Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, they're talking about your your vacuum pumps, your recovery machines. Uh, you know, you're going to have to uh, have some type of a remote switch, so that uh, for for safety purposes, so that you don't have. I mean, if you happen to have a slight leak in your recovery machine and you flip the switch, um, you know, so it's that it goes back to that. Everything's got to be flame proof, flame proof switches, and so. By having the the remote switch, where it's still it's going to be encased in some kind of a non flammable flame proof, and so that you're not standing next to the machine when you hit the re- recover button. Uh, so we're going to be tool- we're going to be tooling up again. You know, we did it before, but it's just I- that to me it's <clears throat> the added me- added cost to the mechanics or uh, the mechanical shops that are out there that we have to tool up for both sides. You've got to have your, your regular, I mean, the tanks, the tanks for flammables have to be like propane tanks. They're left-handed threads. Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got two kinds. You can't, you know, you think the regulations are tough now, mix in refrigerants uh, to turn back in for reclaim. Can you imagine putting a flammable and a non-flammable together? Oh my gosh. There's actually, um, I'm looking at, I, I seen these a, a while back. There's a company that's, that's making t- 
tools for this. It looks like they've got a leak detector and a recovery machine. They're called uh, RDA, Environmental Engineering Limited. You guys heard of them? No, I have not. The, they're, 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 they're yellow tools and, um, there's a recovery machine. There's a fan here, like a big fan that you'd put on the ground and then turn on to kind of sweep the air away from you around the, the machine. And then there's a, there's a leak detector here. So these look pretty interesting. They're yellow. Um, like I said, that the name is RDA environmental engineering limited. So it looks like these guys might be starting to implement some tools into this. And it says on their website, an area where a carb, a hydrocarbon refrigerant such as propane or isobutane is being handled can be potentially flammable, for example, if a leak were to occur or when hoses are purged. For, for this reason, the working area must be free from sources of ignition and sparking electrical devices. So um, <laughs> when, when you brought up, <laughs> Ryan, when you brought up, when you brought up like uh, electrical switches in a mechanical room, I mean, if you're going to have this equipment in, in a mechanical room, your switches, like you said, might have to be explosion proof. And, and that's, that's going, that's getting crazy, right? So, I mean, do you think we're going to get to that point or going to have to get to that point at some point? If they're putting flammables in, Gary, they're, we, we got to look at everything. And that's yeah. just, that's going to make the building industries, uh, you know, it's going to jump when I was, I was here when they, when, you had to, if you had a system that had R11 in it, you had to put in the refrigerant monitor. You had to put in the high and low exhaust. You had to make sure that there was fresh air, that you could open a damper when the exhaust. So all of your fresh air came in low. All those regs came into play. And that was on R11. That's a, you know, th that's the refrigerant that boils at 72 degrees Fahrenheit. It's <laughs> and now you're talking about filling machines up with flammable. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what the regulations are going to be once they uh, once they do that. I, I know on a couple of the manufacturers that I read and and they're talking about red strobe lights and sirens going off and you know let's just scare everybody in the building. Well, have have you guys seen any of the images or videos from overseas? Um, I think they're mainly from like India and maybe China and stuff like that, where maybe a lot of this is, is already began. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of videos of explosions and images of techs that were working on a small piece of equipment and come out and there was an explosion and they're, and they're, they're injured from it. Have you guys seen any of this stuff online? Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's been some in the U S as well. There was that famous one a couple of years ago of the, I think it was a refrigerator, right, Brian, with the, the counter, the granite countertop that got basically put through a wall. Yes, yeah, that was a nice, that was yeah. a nice refrigerator. <laughs> was 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 somebody working on that, or did that just explode on its own from a leak? On its own. Uh, on yeah, its own. It, it did. It did it on its own. Fortunately, the people were remodeling; they were not in the kitchen. The kitchen was, you know, just being finished, and all you see is the pictures. I've never seen any follow-up stories on that, uh, <laughs> but it yeah, was it, pretty amazing to see the door bent as a ninety-degree an angle when it hit the countertop and moved the countertop and bend a stove. And 
Yeah, I mean, it's the, the concussion, the, the effects of these refrigerants, when you look at their combustibility, even the A2Ls are, are fairly extreme when you look at it compared to other explosions that you might, you know, do some math on. These are not trivial uh, things. And those are all tiny devices, right, with a very small charge, you know, tiny charges. It's all, all that's allowed right in the market now, these tiny charges. So you, it's really hard to get your head wrapped around what happens when you've got literally 50 kilograms of refrigerant in a, in a large system and what that could mean. And also you see the ones here, you know, they're proposing in the U S to do, I don't even know how you do it. If you've got a, uh, like a gas, a gas electric heater or like a gas heater adjacent to your air handler uh, with a, you know, whatever they're doing to ignite that, that particular unit, what you have, in an enclosed environment with you're using an A2L, it just seems like the recipe for disaster is, is high. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that either. Yeah. If, if you, I mean, if, if you have an A coil with uh, an A2L right above a, an ignition source, like a furnace, um, then yeah, that, that could be, <laughs> you could be here a loud, loud boom going through your duct and it wouldn't be expansion and contraction because of the fan. Right. It would be, Right. It, it would be it would be a little bit a little bit worse than that. So you guys want to, I guess you guys want to help out with this and the training and stuff. So I mean, what is the the best thing a technician can do if they want to sort of reach out to you guys for advice or some help or 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 any sort of training that you guys are offering at the moment? Yeah, I think first thing they do is you download the the Blue On app, get on the platform, become a member. It doesn't cost you a dime. It's the the best deal in town. Um, and then as we roll out these uh, training protocols and these, you know, uh, reviews on certain gear that will help you through the transition, you know, you'll be involved in that discussion, both from a direct manner. And we're going to have a, a pretty robust way to communicate on the platform that will help people discuss this. But we're going to be trying to stay ahead of it, uh, both from a regulatory standpoint and as well as you know, giving people real usable information on how to how to both train themselves and how to be protect themselves and deal with it both, you know, also when you're dealing with, with your customers, cause they're going to want to know what this stuff is and, and how it impacts them and what the risk is. Yeah. That, that's, that's another thing I didn't think about is when you're approached by a customer and they ask you if, if this is a safe piece of equipment, like what, what does a technician say, especially if they can, they go online and, and see these explosions happening like this, what this, like, like this remodeling, um, explosion you're talking about, if they go online and see that, and then the technician walks in the house and they go, is this safe? <laughs> what is the technician going to say? Well, like, what does he say? I guess the the statistic, yeah, statistically it's safe, <laughs> but what, which end of that statistic is that person going to be on? Hopefully the good one. Right. So yeah, it, it, it is a tough call for, for anybody that's, that's put in that position. Yeah, we, we've got, you know, a bunch of uh, corporate clients we work with almost like on a consultancy basis. And I can tell you firsthand that regardless of what the regulations say, these many of these, you know, Fortune 500 type corporations are not going to, you know, basically allow A2Ls in their environments, you know, where their people are just because of the, the inherent liability and risk that comes with that. Even if it is, you know, one in a million, it's just not something they're willing to uh, you know, willing to underwrite in terms of their business. Yeah, I wouldn't want it. Like I, I'd be very cautious of even having it in my home. I mean, just, just, I mean, there, there's that fear factor type thing that, 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 that kind of 
gets people and then there's the then there's the reality of it and is it really going to happen um am i really going to have a leak and, and what are the odds of this happening and and i guess it might become more commonplace very soon in in a residential sort of application but i, I guess there there are there is a risk involved if, if what you're telling me and you guys are hiding behind that ping pong table and watching these explosions there's got to be there's something going on right <laughs> yeah there's no doubt about that. Yeah, we'll send you the video. It's it's quite. Uh, I, I would I would love to see the video. I'd I'd love to see the video. All right. So if you guys if you guys uh, want to throw anything else in the conversation, I mean, now now's the time. Brian, you got anything else to say on well, this topic? I yeah, I, I want to throw one more example at you, Gary, and and you know as well as I do how rare this particular event is. But when was the last time you saw the terminals blow out of a compressor? Personally, um, it's been a very long time. Videos online, it's almost weekly at this point. So, so just picture, I've, I've, had, I've had both. I've seen the videos, but I've, I've actually had uh, a compressor uh, go to ground and blow the terminals while I was there. Now you talk about uh, you know you un, un, unsweating a fitting off of a compressor and it's got a little bit of oil on it and that oil catches on fire right mm -hmm. so you've got a flammable refrigerant and something happens to that electric compressor that electric motor inside that compressor and it blows the terminals it's it's a one in a million but what happens now it's just yeah. another. It's just a picture that goes through my head, and uh, with that, I'll I'll step back off of my soapbox. Thank well, you, Gary. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I I think the compressor manufacturers are going to have to step in at that point and start designing them a little bit differently. Is is what I'd think. Yeah, that that's a great point, Gary. Because all the equipment we were talking to a couple of uh, OEMs and you know their designs that they have to put forward to facilitate, you know, safety regs on these A2Ls is going to make the equipment go up. I don't know if it's going to be 30%, 50%, but it's going to be not small in terms of the incremental cost to put the sensors, put the safety features, all the different elements that they'll be required to do so to check the box. And it's all going to have to get passed down to the, to the customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there... Is there any, do you guys know of any safety precautions that anybody has recommended or implemented that you should be, as far as PPE goes? Because I mean, like a, a pair of safety glasses, if, like, like Brian said, if the compressor terminals blow out on a, on a flammable refrigerant, safety glasses aren't really going to protect you. Like, have you heard of any sort of implementation of PPE that, that anybody's recommending to wear when you're working on this stuff? I have not. I, no. It goes to the whole thing of this this whole big topic, this transition being largely ignored, you know, by by the folks that matter, the guys that are going to be doing the work on the equipment. There's a lot of discussion in the regulation circles, right? If you go talk to the, you know, EPA or the Sierra Club or you know the the folks that are, are pushing for these, and I have nothing against the environmental groups, actually, I'm a big fan, but I'm saying they're they're not they're not taking into consideration the the downstream work and effort and training that has to happen for these things to become realistic. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, now I've now I'm gonna go to bed and have nightmares about <laughs> coming across a a two Ls in the field. So, but I'm I'm glad we had this discussion because it it we need awareness of this stuff, and without the awareness, you could walk into a system blind and just take out your torch and just start unsweating and not really thinking about it, and then before you know it, like it's too late. It's too late. So I'm I'm glad we we had this discussion, guys. So I thank you very much. Appreciate it. If, yeah. if it opens up their eyes, Gary, and and we save people or equipment or what have you, it is well worth it at this point because we are all learning every day. I uh, I second that. Yeah, it's it's sometimes uh, somebody said to me online the other day, he's like, "Fake it till you make it," eh? and I'm like, "Yeah, it feels like that on a lot of days. <laughs> it feels like that on a lot of." I was just, I was just actually, it was a funny story. I was actually telling. Um, one of the apprentices to there's, there's a, an issue with a unit that I had in the summertime. And I told him, I said, you know how I fixed it? He's like, how? I said, I pulled the Y cause an electronic expansion valve is an Emerson one. And I, and I pull the, the little cable out and I put it back in and the thing resets itself and it starts moving. But once in a while, what would happen is it would, it would just get really silly and it would just close up and the thing would pump down. And I said, you know how I fixed it? He's like, how? And I said, well, I pulled the wire off and as I put it on and while it was moving, I hit it with my wrench as hard as I could. <laughs> and I did that five, I did that five times in a row and the problem actually went away. I couldn't believe it. It went away and it actually just came back tonight. He was there on site on an after hours call. And I said, try it again. If it doesn't work, we have to change we have to change that valve. It didn't work. So now we got to change it. So funny, funny, funny story. <laughs> get a bigger hammer. Gary. <laughs> yeah. An, an, an adjustable hammer. That's, that's what we got. <laughs> clear as mud guys, right? Clear as mud. Now I know that was confusing and I know there's a lot of changes happening. Just remember that this is about awareness. Okay. Cause for me and, and a lot of people are, are the same way as I am. I could read a million pages of a book and, and, and take bits and pieces, but the true learning experience doesn't happen until I'm actually in front of that thing, actually experiencing it for myself on a sort of like a personal level, like really getting to know it. But the awareness needs to be there. So then now the next time you walk up to a machine, it's new, look at the nameplate, what kind of refrigerant is on there. If you don't recognize it, look it up. Okay, that's that's where the, the Danfoss slider is, is a great app. Look it up, find out what it is. Okay, find out if it's uh, A2L, if it's mildly flammable, highly flammable, and take the precautions, right? And let your customers know too. Hey, this machine contains flammable refrigerant. Do you know that? Because if you if they don't know that, they should know that because it's in their facility and they they should be knowing this stuff too. Anyway, guys, Pete. Brian, thank you guys very much. That was very informative. And yes, some of it was confusing. But like I said, now we have the awareness to take forward. And as long as we're armed with a little bit of information, we can always do our job a little bit better. So thank you guys. Thanks again to the master group. But I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.